Hello, and welcome again to this third Bible study about the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus, which we're calling Raising the Bar. He's been teaching us that we need to be different people through his Beatitudes, and we're going to see today, therefore, he expects us to do different things. And so this Bible study is called Making a Difference. Now, in Jesus' day, there were certain expectations about holy people. There were agreed standards of righteousness. You knew what a goodly person was going to look like. And these standards were set by the Pharisees. Let me tell you about Pharisees. Their party, that's what they were, began when the Greeks were ruling in Israel, between the time of the Old Testament and the New Testament, about 200 years before Jesus. And the nation's leaders had been compromising with the Greeks. And the Pharisees rose up and said, this is not to be tolerated. We will not compromise our Judaism with Hellenism. They came from the lower middle classes of society and some from the skilled working class. And they emphasised the law of God. The first five books in our Old Testament, which we sometimes call the Pentateuch, they identified 613 laws in those five books, which they called Torah. Not only were there over 600 laws, but they put hedges around those laws so that people would get nowhere near to breaking them. For example, you've all heard the law, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy and to do no work on that day. So the Pharisees created 39 extra rules to hedge that law so that no Jewish person keeping those 39 rules would come with a near distance of breaking the commandment itself. They stressed tithing and they refused to buy food from anybody who wasn't a Pharisee and they refused to eat with anybody who wasn't a Pharisee. They were very exclusive, as you can see. Their religion was legalistic and outward and cold. It emphasised the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. The common people respected the Pharisees, but they did not love them. The common people honoured the Pharisees, but they didn't like them very much. Jesus came along and swept aside all of the teachings of the Pharisees. He said, that's all wrong. You're making the law legalistic and word only. I want to raise the bar, I want to raise the law by making it more dynamic and more powerful. I want you to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So in the eight Beatitudes, Jesus described the kind of person kingdom people ought to be. And now he goes on to tell us how kingdom people ought to behave because their behaviour should be different because of the Beatitudes. And he spoke initially about salt and light. Let me read first from Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. I've heard many sermons on the salt of the earth, and I came across one where the preacher wanted to make ten points, and each of them he wanted to justify from the Old Testament, and he wanted them to be alliterative. 
Salt, S. So he said salt sustains, salt sanitizes, salt has to be scattered, salt seasons food, salt stings, salt smells, salt startles, salt was used in the sacrifices, salt strengthens. He got to nine, he couldn't find a ten. So the tenth one is salt kills slugs. Well, you've heard of poetic license. That's an example of preacher's license. I think we can narrow down all of those ten to two. Salt preserves meat from decay and from corruption and from going off. And salt adds flavour to food. It is a seasoning. But I think we can boil those two down to one. Salt makes a difference wherever it is scattered. And Jesus is saying, you disciples are salt in the earth and I want you to make a difference where you are. Are we making a difference within our, the context of our lives because we are salty, as Jesus wants us to be salty in the Beatitudes? Are the Beatitudes in your heart having a beneficial effect upon the people among whom you live? Is your circle of acquaintances affected by your presence? Is the atmosphere a little more pleasant than it would otherwise be? Salt makes a difference. But so does light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Whoops, you think? Jesus made a mistake. I mean, in John chapter 8 and in John chapter 9, he says, I am the light of the world. And here he is saying, you are the light of the world. Because Jesus is saying that his light should be in us. We should be radiating the light that he is. Martin Lloyd-Jones explains it this way. His nature enters into us so that we become, in a sense, what he himself is. Jesus is raising the bar for us to his level. He says you can't camouflage a town which is set on a hill. And nobody gets a bowl uh, at the size to hold two gallons of grain and tips it upside down and puts it over a small clay lamp, the wick dipped in oil, it will go out. Light is meant to be seen, and your good deeds should be observable. Many of you have heard of the boredom of the blackout during the Second World War, and if you had a chink of light shining through your curtains, the air raid warden would rap on the door and shout at you, put out that light! You couldn't go out at night because there was no street lighting, you couldn't even take your bike out because you weren't allowed to use the lamp, Cars, there was no petrol. Crime increased. It was very dangerous being out during the blackout. What joy there was when the blackout was lifted, when light came into the country and into the towns and cities again. Light makes such a difference, and so should we. Peter in one place said, Jesus went around doing good. The trouble with us is we just go around. It doesn't mean we should show off about doing good. Jesus earlier had said, blessed are the meek, the humble, the ones who 
quiet and, and contained. But our good deeds should be so obvious that they are noticed by others. Our right living should be noticeable in what we don't do and noticeable in what we do do. And Jesus says that the people who see our good deeds will glorify our Father in heaven. Seventeen times in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is recorded as speaking about God as the Father in heaven. Only once in Mark, only once in Luke, not at all in John. But it's a term that Matthew loves and he records every opportunity he can when Jesus spoke about our Father being in heaven. So, as salt and light, we are meant to be making a difference. We beatitude people, we kingdom people, we Christian people should be making a difference where we are. We should be salty and we should be lightful. By what we are and by what we do, people should be noticing a difference. Now, if the beatitudes turn us into salty light or lightful salt, what will the beatitudes do to our attitude to God's law. Now all the disciples were Jewish and they were taught Moses' laws by elders in the synagogue and most of those elders were Pharisees. Let me read what Jesus said. Chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. In verses 1 to 11, Jesus hadn't said, blessed are those who obey the law of Moses. Jesus had not said, blessed are those who keep the Torah most carefully. If I asked you what the Ten Commandments were, would you be able to write them down? I think some of us would find it quite difficult. If I asked you what were the two most important commandments, Jesus said they are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbour as yourself. Do you know that those two commands are not in the ten? How many commandments were there? 613 in the five books of Moses. Jesus refers to the law and the prophets. The New Testament hadn't been written in the time of Jesus, so they couldn't call the Old Testament the Old Testament, they called it the Law and the Prophets. The Law were the five books of Moses and the 34 other books were known as the Prophets. And Jesus said, I haven't come to abolish them, to get rid of them, to consign them to history. I've come to fulfil them. I've come to fill them full of new meaning. Now, a new Christian who was a bit obsessive by nature might hear about these 613 laws and think, i better write them all down and make sure I'm keeping them all. I want to please God, I want to please Jesus. And they may become absorbed by the books of Leviticus and the books of Numbers. But Christians have never done that. 
If we did, we would all be seven-day Adventists and we'd be coming to church on Saturdays. If we did, we would all be entitled to keep slaves, but only for six years. If we did, we wouldn't be entitled to wear polyester cotton shirts and blouses. If we did, we wouldn't grow cabbages and lettuces in the same garden. We certainly wouldn't have apple trees and pear trees growing together in the same orchard. All these things are forbidden by the law of Moses. If we did plant an apple tree, we wouldn't eat any apples for its first five years, or until the year five. You wouldn't eat pork. You wouldn't eat prawns. You wouldn't eat black pudding. Because all of these things are forbidden in the law. Men, you wouldn't shave. You'd be very careful how much hair you took off your face. And, listen to this one, if your brother died, married, but childless, it would be your duty to marry your brother's widow and to bring up the children as if they were his, even if you were already married. Now, try that one for size. I watched a programme about the Amish in the United States. You may know the Amish. They live very old-fashioned lives. They don't concede to any modern inventions or, 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 or facilities such as electricity or, or motor cars. And they live in wooden houses. And in this programme, one Amish man, and he was very devout, and he loved the Lord, and he loved the law, he found mildew in his wooden house. He tried to treat it and remove it, but it was persistent. He couldn't get rid of it. He destroyed his family's house in accordance with Leviticus chapter 14. Now surely that's not how we're meant to be living as followers of Jesus. Paul had been a Pharisee. I think he would say to that Amish, Romans 10, sorry, Romans 6, you are not under law, you are under grace. Romans 10, Christ is the end of the law. Romans 13, love is the fulfilling of the law. 1 Corinthians 9, I myself am not under the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. Galatians 3, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Paul was not abolishing the law. Paul was filling it full of new meaning. Love and grace and Christ's law. Jesus says in verse 18 that the law will be with us until the end of time. And then he gives a warning to anyone who teaches that you can disregard the law. So may God have mercy on me if I'm not explaining what Jesus is teaching really clearly and correctly. Or I'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. That's the kind of warning Jesus is issuing here. We mustn't disregard the law. But we call this section making a difference. So let's look at a few of those laws from the Christian point of view. What about those laws about not mixing cloths or plants or animals? Well, it meant that the pagans around the Jews would see that they were different. They stood out in their everyday living. And that's what the law is teaching us, that we should stand out from the people around us by the way we live. What are those laws about being respectful of your slaves? Not meaning we can have a slave for six years, but it does mean we should love and respect those who serve us. I have a member of my family 
And if we ever go out to a restaurant, I prepare myself for embarrassment because I know that she will pick on the waitress or sometimes the waiter and bully them and complain and be very demanding. She's in the position of power. She knows that the waiter or the waitress has to comply with the customer's desires. And she bullies the person who's beneath her as she sees it. This is quite wrong. What about that law about marrying your sister-in-law, gentlemen? Well, no, you're not required to do that. But if there's a member of your family who is in need, especially perhaps if they're bereaved, you have an extra duty of care towards that member of your family. What about the law about a farmer who allows his bull to run wild and causes damage? Well, if you drive your car into your neighbour's fence, you cough up the money and you pay for it to be repaired. Jesus is saying, look deep. Look for an underlying principle behind the law. Look at what he says in verse 20. I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow! How can we, in our weakness and sinfulness, how on earth can we exceed the righteousness of these legalistic, God-fearing Pharisees? But that was the point. Their obedience to law was outward, not inward. It was shallow, not deep. It was legalistic, not motivated by love. They paid lip service to the letter of the law and they ignored the spirit of the law. Jesus is saying, look beyond the rule to its deeper meaning. Don't disregard Moses, but look for the underlying principle, especially any underlying principle relating to love. You are under Christ's law. His law is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbour as yourself. In this very sermon in chapter 7, Jesus will go on to say, so in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. That's known as the golden rule, isn't it? Treat other people in the way you would like them to treat you. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 13. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and what other command there may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. And so we, when we read the laws of Moses, we respect them, we look for the underlying principle, and we look for the law of love which lies beneath them. Jesus swept away legalistic rule-keeping. He urged us to get to the heart of the commandment. He redirected our minds from the letter to the spirit, from the outward to the inner, from the act to the underlying attitude. So we call this Bible study making a difference. If we are born-again people who are seeking to live out and to be those Beatitudes, we should be different not only in the way we are inside, but in the way we behave. Our behaviour should be making a difference around us. We should be like salt and light. 
And when it comes to God's Old Testament laws, Jesus didn't come to abolish them, he came to fulfil them, full of new meaning, especially relating to love. Paul said, love is the fulfilment of the law. And so if we live in the light of this teaching, then certainly we will make a difference in the society in which we live. May the good Lord help you and me to be more salty and more lightful and more loving of God and more loving of our neighbour. God bless you. Amen.